Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another interview for Technology Uncorked. My name is Jeff Quattromani, and this show is brought to you by Sonos. Now, I have spoken quite a bit about this brand for many, many years. And I've got to tell you that lately, I couldn't be happier with this with the range that Sonos has. They literally now have something for every room and even for every outdoor area as well. Now, for me, I have got the Move as well as the Roam. But I can tell you that since the Roam has arrived, a little small $279 speaker, ever since that's arrived, it's become my most used Sonos product. Obviously, the Arc, which powers off the TV and things like that, is, is always in use as well. But whether I'm in a room or going outside, I tend to carry the Roam with me. It's almost like carrying a drink bottle around. I bring it around. I place it in so many different places just because it can stand upright on a very small surface. It can lay down flat and actually also adjust the audio whenever you do that as well. So it's become that speaker that is roaming with me. And I got to say, the sound quality out of it has been spectacular. I've been doing a lot of renovations outside the home, and it's been keeping me company the entire time, especially when it's got the Google Assistant built in. I can talk to it. I can change songs. I can ask if it's going to rain and if I rather, if I should actually stop painting. Um, it gives me all of that detail as well. So do check out the entire range. There really is a speaker for every room of the house, as well as for your backpack and anywhere else that you decide to go. Head to Sonos.com. Now, I will also tell you that televisions have become one of the biggest items of purchase over the last 18 months. With the pandemic setting in, more of us spending time at home, you would think that one of the biggest things that got upgraded in most homes was actually your TV. And I have spent some time with Sony last week where I got to spend a night watching a new Sony TV and actually experiencing their entire range. But who better to actually really tell you about what's going on in the TV space to give you a real understanding about that but a senior product and partner specialist from Sony. Uh, Dan Kennedy is not a marketing guy. He is not just here to tell you about Sony TVs. He's here to educate us about televisions in general, what's happening out there at the moment, and what's happening inside these big black rectangles that we're putting on our walls and spending so much more time watching. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dan Kennedy, the senior product and partner specialist from Sony. Dan, first and foremost, I uh, want to ask about the pandemic and what it's meant for Sony. I mean, the way I see it, more people spending time at home. I'm assuming that's meant good things for, you know, TV purchases. Yeah, the pandemic. I mean, it's just so crazy that it's only been about a year and a bit since it really sort of hit hard. Yeah. I mean, I haven't really done that much travel in that point in time. And I think, you know, we had a look at some stats around you know, how much people are saving because they're not going on travels, they're not going on holidays, they're, they're essentially accruing all this leave as well. Um, and I'm very much in that boat where I, I've just got, you know, if I needed to make a big TV purchase, I could. And I think that's very, uh, you know, it, it looks like that's what we're seeing in the data mm. where TV sales have, have been just through the roof for the past year, year and a bit. And that's continuing on this year as well. Uh, so I think from a TV sense, we've been very lucky. Uh, we're one of the businesses that has not been as affected as, as some of the others. 
Um, and you know, people are as as they should be <laughs> staying at home as much as possible and yeah. and watching TV, which definitely helps us. And when you say how you guys haven't been as impacted from a, maybe a manufacturing point of view, is that because you aren't manufacturing out of China? Is that is that sort of what you're thinking? No, it's it's not so much that. It's it's more as a business, a local business, we haven't been impacted in a negative way. Okay. Uh, almost quite the opposite, uh, because people have excess money. Um, they haven't been holidaying. They've been able to to make that sort of purchase of a TV that they perhaps were putting off because they had planned to go to to the Tokyo Olympics, for example. Yeah, good point. Um, so that's you know, I think that's one of those things where TVs definitely fall in that, you know, large purchase. Um, mm. It is around that kind of like holiday pricing, a two to three week holiday. Mm. Um, and, and I guess that sort of, you know, people that have been putting off buying a TV have now thought, well, you know, I'm spending so much time at home. It makes sense to you know, possibly upgrade what we already have or, or get a TV for the second bedroom or the new TV for the living room. Yeah, good point. And I guess looking at that data that's coming through, is is 65 inches the new norm? I, I've been mentioning that when I when I do radio and things like that, but am I correct that 65 inches seems to be that sweet spot for for TV purchases now? Yeah, it was like I got I got the question that came through and I sort of had a look at it, did did some further digging. So I had a look at our sales data and I won't mention specific figures, but yep. uh, definitely 65 inch for us in the local Australian market is our biggest seller and by quite some margin as well in terms of the percentage, wow. uh, followed very closely by 75 and 55 inch. So, so when so you have a look at that. 75 is outselling 55? Yeah, definitely. Wow. Uh, at the moment, yeah, because seventy-five inch has been uh, for the longest period of time. Is is that is that really sort of in between screen size for a lot of people? Where mm. eighty-five inch is uh, like very very large, yeah. possibly doesn't you know, especially at, at my place, an eighty-five inch wouldn't um, fit into my uh, apartment. But uh, <laughs> like a, a seventy-five inch, yeah, for sure. Like you'd be able to to get that in. And, you know, we're, this is Australia, right? Like bigger is better. A lot of people, yeah. you know, especially out in the, the suburbs have very large houses mm. where a 75 inch uh, would be completely uh, at home in the living room um, and even in an 85 inch as well. But I think, uh, you know, for people that are looking at the 85 inch, and that's a that's a fairly substantial investment. Yeah. And your living space really has to accommodate a TV that size as well. But uh, 65, 75, and 55 is the, the one, two, and three for us in the local market. That's fascinating. It's, I'm really interested about that too because, um, yeah, we always think about 65, but then forget that what would be second place? And to know it's actually a bigger size and then it gets smaller, that's fascinating. And I think, you know, for a lot of times we, we think about size and then the other thing that people tend to focus on is the amount of pixels. You know, is it a 4K TV, is it an 8K TV? But when I think about TVs, especially in 2021, it's not necessarily just about whether it's a 4K or an 8K TV. There's more innovation happening just outside of this you know, amount of pixels on the screen, isn't there? Oh, for sure. And we've seen like really interesting things happening in the market. Uh, we saw renewed interest in the 43-inch 4K TV category simply because people are looking at, you know, hey, this is a TV for my second bedroom, mm. but also it's a really good work monitor as well. So all this sort of niche behavior has, has really come out during the pandemic and we're seeing, I guess, uh, an increase in sales of categories that we, we have, you know, had tr traditionally been on the decline because of their size. Mm. Um, so, yeah, bigger is always better for the living room, but, uh, you know, if you want to, 
a second monitor, 43 inches is right within that sort of sweet spot as well. As long as you've got the desk space for it, I'm looking at the desk that I'm sitting at and I'm thinking, wow, 43 inch would be amazing to have. I just need to move some shelving and things like that. But uh, oh, I know, right? Incredible. Now, thinking about obviously the arrival of PlayStation 5, I, you know, from, from where I sit, I feel like it's given people a real purpose to get a new TV because we almost look at the TVs now being a limiting factor and really getting the most out of new gaming consoles today. The capabilities that are inside those boxes are far ahead of what our TVs can sometimes output or perform. Are you, are you seeing that quite a bit at Sony as well? From a TV point of view, yeah, I mean, th- this year and last year have really been the the oh, the introduction of HDMI 2.1, which is a very technical term. But what it means for consumers is that you know all of our TVs this year, uh, except for the very very entry level, have HDMI 2.1, which means they can achieve that uh, 4K 120, so like super fast responsiveness for gaming. Um, and the processing technology on these TVs has increased massively as well, uh, so that when you move, you know, anything on the controller, um, that's reflected in game uh, as you know almost instantly. Uh, so there's all these things that are happening in the market with the, I guess, the release of next-gen consoles it has come at a really good time. Uh, it couldn't have been a better time to release the new HDMI specifications, and these TVs support them fully. So, uh, you know. If you're a gamer, it's the best time ever to buy a, a TV because not only do the TVs support all these next-gen gaming features, um, there's a new HDMI specification that allows for that. And of course, all these next-gen consoles that have been just released also support them. So uh, it's like the holy trinity, sort of everything has come together, yeah. uh, which is so rare in this industry that uh, you get any sort of collaboration. But um, yeah, it's really nice to see all of these technologies coming together for the benefit of the consumer, especially like the gaming consumers that we're seeing in the market now. Um, I mean, everyone's trying to get their hands on a, on a PlayStation 5. <laughs> I can't yes. even get one at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and, it is, and it is true. You've almost had this, this perfect storm of you know, the, the pandemic, new gaming consoles, uh, people spending more time at home. That TV seems to be the one focus point to be upgraded. But from a gaming point of view as well, gaming has become such a serious sport in many ways that when you're playing at home, you do want to make sure you've got the best display to go with the console so that you're getting the best results out of the game. Because, you know, whether it's input lag on a TV or whatever the case may be, you could be at a disadvantage to who you're playing with online. Oh, 100%. And and people notice that as well. Like they're really sort of, you know, when they're buying a TV, it's like, well, does it have this particular feature, yeah. uh, this particular gaming feature? Like, can I get 4K 120 hertz? Can I... Can I get 8.5 milliseconds of of input lag? You know, like some they're very very technical things. Not not the most friendly consumer speak, but uh, the, the gaming community knows what they want, mm. and our TVs provide these these next gen gaming features for their needs as well. It's awesome. It's awesome. Now the other thing that I did pay attention to when I was um, experiencing the new TVs was the smarts. You know, the operating system. What you actually see when you turn the television on. Um, you know, for me, I think Sony's really come out swinging this year because we're seeing Google TV on board. And for anybody who's experienced what Google TV looks like on the new Chromecast, it's very similar to that. When you turn the Sony TVs on, it's all there. And, you know, that seems to me like a big change because when I compare it to other operating systems with other brands, I love what Google TV does. I love how simple it is. And it, you know, to our conversation before we started recording, it just works. Um, tell us a little bit about what it was like to sort of massage Google TV 
into Sony televisions and, and where this change came from? Yeah, I mean, so the original change came from 2015. So that was our first Android TV sets. Mm. And when I joined the TV team and sort of had a look at that, I was like, wow, this is really the future. Uh, because once I started casting things, because I guess the, the first quintessential feature that we had was Chromecast. And unless you've used Chromecast religiously, yeah. um, you don't you don't realize how useful it is. It's like, I'm so annoyed at things that actually don't support Chromecast. You're like, yeah. it should just, you know, it should be so easy to get anything from any device onto your TV mm -hmm. uh, without any sort of like handshaking or anything. Um, so that's that's been a massive technology. And then it sort of progressed from there and we started supporting uh, you know, Alexa capabilities on TV. And we had a bunch of customers that sort of said to us, hey, you know, what about Apple users? It says Android TV, what about Apple users? And for us, it was like, okay, well, let's bring on Apple TV, let's bring on Apple HomeKit, let's bring on Apple AirPlay. So if you've got the smart Apple system at home, our TV integrates seamlessly with that as well. Uh, so that's been a, a huge boon for us, like that the TV is essentially, you know, you're not having to look at the TV and go, oh, does the TV do X, Y, and Z? Does it fit into my current living room? Um, you know, it's, it's now a customer brings it home. It's like, well, whatever I've got at home will work mm. with with our Bravia TVs, which is, you know, absolutely fantastic. It's the way it should be. Um, and that's not just the the smarts. It's also in the stand positioning. So this, this the stand will accommodate whatever TV bench that you have, you know, you can use this, the narrow stand positioning on some of our high-end models or the, the wide. Uh, but it was it was actually good because recently we did a, like a massive uh, marketing survey of uh, people that were looking to buy TVs. And, you know, we sort of, one of the, the key things that came out of that was that smart TV is the number one feature that people look for. Um, you know, can my TV, uh, you know, easily find content? Does it have all the services that I expect? Can it connect to my internet of things or smart home? Um, and yeah, we're just really lucky that we were, we got onto that ball uh, fairly early back in 2015 and, and we've been able to refine it every single year. Um, and it really helps to have, you know, not many people think about it, but Google T like Google is one of the largest, you know, operating system manufacturers in the world for software. Um, and it really helps to have them in our court and uh, and developing in the background that that user experience and massively improving it every single year. And that's one of the one of the questions I guess to lean on then too is that given that your role looks after partnerships so much, when you have Google TV running on on this on, on these models, thinking you know three years ahead, somebody who's got a 2021 TV, if a new app or streaming service becomes available, assuming it's available on Google TV, they should also be able to use that app on their 2021 TV. Because what we see with other brands is sometimes these operating systems become unsupported because it's no longer a priority for those brands to focus on that particular version or that model TV because it's no longer in their in their range or it's not something that, that they stock anymore. Is that something that you think will actually benefit consumers longer term that having Google TV means that Heck, if something else happens, something new comes out, good chance you're able to use it. Yeah, so for us, it's all about, you know, what's known as the SOC or the systems on chip, which is not, again, a very, not a very uh, interesting term and it's not very consumer friendly. Right. But essentially, we have a very, very powerful uh, processor that runs our operating system on the TVs. Mm. Uh, so, you know, you'll have things like we, we had Optus Sport come onto the TVs just recently, um, probably a year and a half ago, 
uh, same with KO and Binge, re relatively new services. And uh, because of the way that our processes were able to handle things, we were able to release those um, that pit, bit of software, that bit of uh, application, uh, and that new experience to even as far back as our 2015 TVs. Oh, wow. Um, so all these people that had bought these TVs a long, long time ago, uh, they're just constantly getting all these new services, uh, things like Binge, KO, Optus Sport, uh, just to name a few, have been new additions that weren't there before. Uh, whereas with other brands, they, they just don't have that ability. Uh, so we're very lucky with the way that we've um, come into this ecosystem um, and it's very supportive for all the versions. And it's, and it's, for me, I think it's really important because I can't tell you the amount of people that I have spoken to and they tell me about their TV, they've heard about a new service and it could have been as simple as when Netflix first came to Australia and they were saying, how can I get that on my TV? And most of the time the answer is, well, you just need to go and get a Chromecast or a, or an Apple TV because your TV is not going to get it. You know, you're not going to get that update. They're not doing that for you. And, you know, to know that, you know, what you were just saying around with KO and, and binge that people have been getting them from that far back. I think that's a really important statement to make because people do invest in TVs. You don't change them every couple of years, like you might do a smartphone or something like that. So it's a, it's something to think about, especially if you're going to spend the money on something that's, you know, 80 inch, 75 inch, it's real cash. That's real money that you want to see, you know, pay off in the long term. The, Definitely. Yeah. The other part I was curious about, because you did this amazing demo where you had three TVs in a room and you played footage and one of them was of a train going past. It was the same footage in all the TVs. And there was another one which sort of panned over a rooftop in, in a bit of in a bit of a city skyline type example. And the motion blur was so evident on, well, one TV particularly, the other one a little bit, but then in the middle, there was almost no motion blur at all. It didn't even look like the same footage given how crisp and the actual content looked. That's a big change. And I think anyone who watches sport on TV knows what I'm talking about, that you're watching a game of football or soccer. When that ball moves across the screen, you can see it's got a tail. But what we're seeing in 2021 is those TVs really handling that much better than I've ever seen it before. Yeah, and that's really down to the latest technologies. And it, there's, a, there's a few really key aspects to that. One is that the brightness of TVs in the recent years has gone up. And if you think about just a normal stand camera, mm. your options increase like so much more when there's a lot of light. Like you can actually go to that, you know, that one over 400, one over 500. Um, you really break it down. So there's heaps of light coming in. You can freeze the action. And it's the same with TVs. Our eyes really respond well to when things are quite bright, uh, particularly motion. So we can see motion much better in bright, sunny daylight than we can if we were watching something at nighttime. And so that's the first thing, like, you know, and that's, that's industry-wide is that TVs have gotten brighter. Uh, but the other thing is um, the technologies for handling motion blur, we understand them a lot more than we used to. And one of the, the biggest things in recent years has been what something known as uh, BFI or black frame insertion. Right. Uh, so just as you blink with your eyes, uh, the reason that you do that is to refresh the color information that comes to your eyes. And you've probably seen this where you've accidentally stared at something for too long and then you blink and it's kind of like baked into your, your retinas. Yep. Um, that's actually happening at the brain level. Um, and what the TVs now do is they actually insert black frames uh, to refresh the color information in the eye and make sure that the colors don't smear all over the place. And right. that reduces motion blur as well. 
Um, but they're two counterintuitive things. The more black frames you insert, the darker the image gets, which means it's getting worse for motion. Mm. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, so they kind of work against each other. So what we did was we, de we developed a technology where we only insert black boxes um, around the moving, the very fast moving detailed objects. And that keeps the screen nice and bright. Now this happens so quickly on the screen, you never actually see these black boxes or indeed any of the black frame insertions. Yeah. Um, but all it means is that we can keep the screen both nice and bright and also have that black frame insertion in certain parts of the image. Um, so the motion from our TVs, just because of that technology, is actually a lot better than uh, what you get on, on other brands. And it's a proprietary technology for us that we've developed over many years. Uh, and the reason that we, we've been able to really master it is because it's all done through the picture processing. Mm. Um, we identify through the picture processor what's moving really fast and what needs to, you know, what has enough detail that we can insert those black boxes around it. Uh, so that's been, you know, quite a few years in the making. And as you saw with your own eyes, like it makes a huge difference to the overall end result. It does. It does. And it's not like I'll often have three TVs in a room with me, but knowing what I saw and knowing how, how much it does compare to other TVs like that, um, it would have been an easy choice of which one to take home. And to be clear to everyone listening, there was no sport mode selected. There was no fancy settings done for that to happen. We, we saw them do a full, basically a factory reset on all of the settings on all three TVs before they did the demos. So this was not any sort of magic that was tuned into the TV. This was sort of out of the box type settings. And the other thing that, um, that really sort of surprised me was audio because TVs are getting thinner. They're getting thinner, they're sexier, they look much better in the rooms than they ever used to. Um, and a soundbar has probably almost been a mandatory purchase with a new TV. I know that if I talk about TVs these days, it's cool, get the most beautiful TV you can find and then get a soundbar because it's gonna sound poor or otherwise. But what was surprising was that the audio that came out of these TVs was pretty darn good. Um, it kind of didn't make sense that you've got a panel that can be used to create the audio. And that was something I didn't understand, but I thought was completely amazing as well. Yeah, it's really like it's really interesting how TVs have taken off in the last few years, and you know, especially the you know the the premium segment of the market. Um, it used to be, it was so ingrained in in people's thoughts that if you bought an expensive TV, like almost expect poor sound because mm. uh, you know if you're buying an expensive TV, go get a a dedicated soundbar, go get a, a home theater system. And that was that was being drilled into us for years and years and years. Um, so it's, it, it, even today, people aren't buying TVs and expecting really good sound out of them, um, despite the fact that these are you know this is not a small purchase. It's, it's quite an expensive purchase. And like you know, some customers would maybe not you know buy a soundbar, and that would have poor outcomes because watching just content and relying on the quality of the content alone what really gives you that cinema experience is also that cinema sound right like it'd be like going to the movies and and there's just like you know this little speaker in the corner playing all the sound like it's, it's yeah. not it's just not on right it doesn't give you that full experience um so for us we've got two different technologies one is for our led lcd tvs which is essentially we use high range tweeters on the left and right of the panels uh, to create 3d sound so you do get uh, 3D upscale sound no matter what you're watching. Yeah. But I think the headlining technology that you, you experience this firsthand on our OLEDs 
is that Acoustic Surface Audio Plus. Now, for those who've never really seen one of our OLEDs, um, what that means is we use the glass on the actual uh, OLED panel as a speaker cone, right? And behind that, we have the what's known as the actuator, which actually vibrates the panel at such a frequency you can't actually see any of the vibrations. But it is a really, really good soundstage, um, and it's exclusive to us. No one else has been able to do it. Uh, but, I mean, you guys know yourself that the bigger the speaker cone, the better the sound reproduction. And yeah. this is a 65 or 75-inch <laughs> um, speaker cone. Like, it's absolutely massive. Yeah. And so the sound range that we were actually able to get out of this and the sound positioning as well, because we've actually placed the the actuators, you know, um, to the left and right of the screen, um, it really gives you that experience of what we know as sound from screen experience, where, you know, someone's talking, it's coming from the screen, not above or below it. Um, but also, like, having those subs there as well, it really gives the full sound experience. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the A90J, that that is next level. I've never heard a TV, and, you know, I'm I'm inherently biased because I work for Sony, but okay. I've never heard a TV that sounds that good. It, yeah. is, it is next level. And then you've got that benefit of being able to use the TV as your center channel if you do actually go ahead and add other speakers given that you have got the, the, that power in that TV, you don't have to have that all off. You can actually make it part of your home theater if you choose to do so. Yeah, no, the center speaker mode is fantastic. If you have an existing home theater system, you just use the speaker cable and run it into the red and black terminals of the, the TV itself. Hmm. And you can configure that as your like center speaker for your entire home theater system. So if you've got an existing 5.1, 5.2, a seven or even a 9.2 system, mm. you can work the TV sound into it without wasting any of the sound that comes from the screen, which is a really, really nice feature to have. Um, so yeah, it accommodates for customers that, you know, they can take the, the TV home and get really good sound out of the box. You know, maybe you're renting an apartment and you don't want to, you know, take the place apart to put speakers everywhere. Um, but I mean, if you've got an existing awesome setup at home, you're not wasting the TV speakers as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's just a really smart thing to do. I mean, they're there. You might as well use them, especially if they perform well. Um, and you mentioned earlier as well around having Apple HomeKit built in, you know, Amazon's voice assistant, the Google voice assistant all built in. And I was surprised by that, given that it is Google TV and I thought it was going to be very Google focused. But somehow you've managed to bring in all the services and I couldn't really find a streaming service that exists that wasn't on that TV as well. How do you go about, I mean, streaming services to one side, but how do you go about forming those partnerships with Apple and Amazon and obviously Google being there as part of the TV? Is it difficult to get all players into the one TV to, to work harmoniously at the same time? It is. And, uh, you know, these are global services. So these discussions are happening at a, definitely a global level, yeah. um, particularly with the, the partners like Disney and Amazon and, and Apple and, and co. And I think, you know, being a tier one player in the market, we do have that ability to say, hey, look, you know, everyone, please get along. We, you know, our primary focus is delivering as much content and as much experience and as much choice to customers as possible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what customers can expect when they buy one of our TVs. So whether or not it's a, a very large, uh, you know, international streaming service like the big four, Amazon, Disney, Netflix, uh, Big four, I'm forgetting one, aren't I? <laughs> this, I'll, I'll remember it. But yeah, um, if it's one of those services, essentially, like it's definitely going to be on there. But you, 
you know, when you purchase the Sony TV as well, um, whatever local service comes out, we're going to have, or we're going to be working in the background to get that to your living room as well, yeah. uh, whatever that service may be. And that's probably quite exciting because I'm guessing there's a number of other services or there'd be something that you're working on that we won't know about until it eventually gets launched. So you kind of do get a bit of an early insight as to what's coming in Australia. Oh, 100%. We do a lot of the testing for new services that are, that are coming about, and yeah. it's always exciting to see what's happening in the in the streaming market. Yeah. Um, I came into this role about five years ago, and when I first got in, um, there was no KO, there was no binge, there was, yeah. you know, Foxtel wasn't on our Android TVs either. Um, Stan, and Stan yeah, I mean, Stan was one of the first ones that we worked on, yeah. um, and they were, you know, just you know, a, a massive addition to to, I guess, the streaming services in the market. And it's it's been fantastic looking at the way that the market has transitioned from, oh, you definitely need an antenna to enjoy your TV experience to, oh, you don't have an antenna? That's not a big deal. Like, you'll yeah. still get access to everything. Um, and that's true, especially with one of the features that we've developed with all of our free-to-air access providers. So you think about uh, ABC, SBS, 7, 9, and 10. Um, you can actually go on and uh, get free-to-air TV through the apps, the Android TV apps that are on our TVs. So now you can move your Sony Bravia TV into any room in the house, regardless. Like I'm, I'm in a terrace and I don't have a TV antenna, but I still watch free-to-air TV all the time. Um, and it's actually going beyond that as well. Uh, so, for example, with uh, Channel 7, um, with the Android TV app application, we've been working with them to develop some of the features uh, for the Olympics. So pretty much every stream will be, there will be like, you know, pretty much anything that's live at that point in time, yeah. you'll be able to get it through the Sony Bravia Android TV app. Whereas you might not be able to access the same thing with free to air simply because they're constrained by the amount of channels that they have. Um, so we can actually do things with, uh, with these services that, traditional TV just can't do. And that's a very exciting uh, prospect. Yeah, and look, and, and it's the same for my place. I don't have an antenna on the roof here. Um, I, I initially was relying on Foxtel having a Foxtel box, but then, you know, that's also really sitting to the side now. Everything is being streamed and honestly, it works just fine. Uh, there's no problems in doing it. Now, the, the last question I've got around Sony and, and all of the TVs that we, uh, that we got to experience was we have three different types of technologies. We have LED, uh, full array LED, and then there's the OLEDs in the Sony range. When somebody's looking at that range, obviously price plays a factor as well, but what about in a, in a real world situation of your home? Do you guys think about certain TVs being better situated for certain rooms or situations where maybe a home theater compared to a lounge room that gets a lot of natural light? How do you guys sort of try and separate those, those products into the house? Yeah, it's really interesting because this question has changed massively over the past few years. Um, it used to be, you know, back in 2015 when we launched our first OLEDs, mm. uh, they were quite expensive, but they were not as bright as your LED LCD TVs. Yeah. So the recommendation was, well, you know, if you don't have control over the light that comes into your house, if you don't have blinds, then go an LED LCD because they're brighter, Right. Uh, but as you just saw with with the A90J, our newest OLED, I mean that's like thirty to forty percent brighter than most LED LCD TVs in the market. Yeah. Um, and so, as you said, it do, it definitely does sometimes come down to 
to budget because in my mind, uh, especially now in terms of sound, picture quality, uh, the the OLEDs are they're the king of the hill. They're they're too hard to beat now. They're they're just like the next level of technology. Uh, people talk about full array and mini LED and all of the different zones that you can get. I mean, you have a look at a TV that might have six thousand zones of of contrast dimming. Mm. Um, an OLED will always have for a four K TV. Um, you know, 3.8 million zones. It's it, you're not even playing on the same field. Like, you're not even playing the same game. It's yeah. it's a completely different experience. When an OLED is showing black, it's completely black. Yeah. Uh, the contrast level is infinity. It's you just can't beat it. Yeah. So these days, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're going to be buying a TV, let's first and foremost, your 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 first question is, well, how big should this TV be, mm. right? So if you if you have a living space, our recommendation is, um, you know, wherever you're sitting, um, if you draw a 40 degree line from where you're sitting outwards, then that is the the cone of detail for your eyesight, okay. right? So it's pretty much not worth it to get something bigger than that 40 degree arc vision because you just simply cannot perceive. Uh, the things left and right of the screen. Interesting. So uh, <laughs> for a lot of people, that means they can fit a very, very large TV into their yeah. home. Um, but for, you know, for, for most people uh, and most living rooms, that that ends up being like a 75-inch, a 65 or 75-inch TV. Wow. Right? So that's that's the first question. And then, you know, let's say you've, you've gone into a one-bedroom apartment and, you know, your 65 inches is about as much as you can fit in there. It's, then you sort of ask the second question is, well, what do you do with your TV? Is it gaming? Is it sport? Is it, you know, cinema? You know, you're, you're really wanting that cinema quality at home. And then it sort of gets into the next level of triage. You go, okay, well, sports is, is definitely, you know, the most important th- thing for me. So then you would go, okay, well, every TV that's 100 hertz or less, um, that's out of my, you know, I'm not looking at those TVs. So it becomes, okay, I'll look at 200 hertz and, and, and then we'll go from there. And then if you go say, well, you know, cinema is, is what I really want, then it's like, well, okay, OLED. OLED's the, the best option there. Mm. So it really comes down to, um, you know, if you, the more money you spend on a TV, the more features you get. Sure. And it pretty much does everything once you get to a certain price point. So budget definitely comes into it. Um, and, and for most people, it's those two questions. How big should it be? And, you know, what, <laughs> what kind of budget do I have? Because yeah. that's going to dictate a, a lot of what they can actually um, get in the market these days. But, uh, you know, I've been living, especially at my place for the last three years, I've had an OLED TV and I would just, I would never go back. Uh, the experience is, is that good. Um, but for people that, uh, you know, budget is a serious concern, yeah. for sure. Like our top-end X9000 or X90J series uh, TVs, which are great for gaming uh, and above, I mean, those are fantastic options as well. Yeah, no, they were. I mean, that's that's going to be the biggest take-home thing that I would tell people is, oh, that's great. If you can afford it, absolutely. If you can afford the best TV, go and get it. Um, but you know, it doesn't mean that those mid-range TVs that, that we looked at, it's not that they're bad. They're fantastic. And what I always tell people too is you'll never have two TVs at home side by side. So even if you don't have the OLED, trust me, the one that you are bringing home is going to look great because you don't have an OLED next to it. So you don't have to actually yeah. do that comparison. It will still look good. Exactly. And, and sometimes it comes down to that first question is, again, like let's say you can afford a 65-inch OLED. Um, 
but for the same price, you can get a 75 inch X90J. Yeah. Then for sure, I you know sometimes it's like cool. Well, 75 inch is actually that's a lot more screen size. Yeah, it is. Um, and and this is the other really odd thing about the TV industry is that you know I think it's just a and I, I don't know who started it, but measuring diagonally in inches in Australia is very weird, um, it is. and it, it 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 leads to very strange outcomes where. You know, someone buying a 55-inch TV um, and then looking at a 65-inch TV, they think, oh, it's just 10 inches. But because of the way that area works and on the diagonal, um, you actually get 38%, almost 40% more screen size. Yeah. So almost twice the amount of screen size um, as you would if you <laughs> if you went a 65-inch. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my main advice would be like, yeah, definitely go in the store and and have a look at you know the size of these TVs uh, because it, it, when you have a look at a 65 inch next to a 75 inch, it really dawns on you that oh okay 75 inch that's that's quite a large TV. Yeah. yeah, it's not it's not just that sort of 10 inches. It's 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 like the overall footprint is much much bigger. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Now Dan, the rest of the questions are actually about yourself. Uh, I think we've Ooh. done. Today. I think we've done the TV. Yeah. Um, no worries. Some very simple ones for you, though. Um, what would be your favorite app to keep you organized? Uh, you've, you've said it there. Keep. Uh, Google oh, Keep. Yeah. yeah. I'm starting to I mean, that, actually. I've, I, I, it's, it's amazing. So I, I've got one which is just, it's just full of life admin, things that I never really think about, like, you know, the login to Sydney Water. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to forget that. So, yeah, that's, that's where I keep all of... Uh, all of the important life admin stuff. I like it. I like it. What would be your favorite social media app? Uh, a picture is always a thousand words or something to that effect. Uh, big on Instagram. Love Instagram. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we're always stuck in meetings these days. Um, when you do get five minutes to spare between meetings, what's the first thing that you do on your phone? Well, I ride to work. So actually the first thing I do is I check the bomb weather app. <laughs> so yes. I make sure that it's either not too cold or raining when I'm riding home. Um, that's that's one of the things that I check, definitely. And if you do that, just to, as a, just to interrupt the whole lot of questions here, if you do that and it's raining, what choice do you have? So, yeah, it, there's no good choices. Um, <laughs> sometimes it means if it's really heavy, it yeah. means just leaving the bike at, at work and, and taking a, a train back home. Yeah. Um, or I put a rain jacket on, but, you know, because I like I casually ride, so I'm not you know I'm not in like or anything. I'm just uh, you know <laughs> it just, just means sometimes yep. yeah it means that sometimes I get home and I am you know my jeans are soaking and my shoes are squeaking. It's <laughs> it's not a great outcome, but yeah that's that's unfortunately the reality of it. Uh, cool. And it's it's funny because I'm actually not that far from work, but if I was to drive into work, you know, parking in North Sydney is uh, it's like seventy nine dollars a day. And it would probably take me, gosh, it would take me more time in traffic to mm. drive to work than I, you know, riding there. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. And uh, do you wear a smartwatch or a traditional timepiece? I, I wish there was a, a smartwatch that was good for Android devices. Um, big swing. I, it is a big swing. Um, so my missus has the Apple Watch yeah. and that thing is um, like... I, Am I allowed to comment on other brands? <laughs> Probably not. But uh, that thing is absolutely amazing. Um, even, yeah, it's, it's just fantastic. I wish there was some similar, you know, device for, for Android users uh, yeah. because, yeah, 
that that thing is great. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's if that's a very interesting response because I've actually had a lot of people tell me they just don't wear a watch at all. Um, but no one's actually ever said, I wish I could have had this on an Android phone. I like that response. Uh, when we used to jump on airplanes and we used to fly around the place, um, would you use the in-flight entertainment system or would you bring your own device? I am I am huge on short form entertainment. So okay. my YouTube subscribe list is very curated. Hmm. And, you know, I've got your your box and you know, a lot of investigative journalism I've got on my subscribe list. And I often don't have enough time to watch it. So what I'll do is I'll download all of the uh, things I've saved to watch later on YouTube and I'll generally watch it um, as opposed to I do often if there's something that I'm really binging, I'll um I'll download it on on my phone and, and watch it from any of the the big services. Um, yeah, yeah. Particularly uh, when Netflix had all of Rick and Morty, I just I I downloaded most of those on a on a flight to Japan. So yeah, yeah about, it really about depends. Ten hours to Japan, right? So you can really burn through some. Content. You can really go through it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. And how do you get away from technology? How do you how do you disconnect? Well, I'm uh, like I do ride to work, uh, but I also ride recreationally as well. So I've got a racing license, and uh, if you want to race on a bicycle in Sydney, um, even if you want to be very average at doing that, you kind of have to dedicate about ten to fifteen hours of training a week, so about wow. two to three hours a day with uh, rest days. Mm-hmm. So that that definitely takes takes a lot of uh, a time. Um, bouldering. I've just gotten into bouldering. It's the, I guess, the new hotness. Um, so it's like rock climbing indoors, yeah. but without a harness. Uh, so you never oh, so really go. Yeah, they're they're more like problem solving type climbs, and I just find that fantastic for uh, upper body fitness, which yeah. you don't get any of that cycling. So that rounds me out. Um, I'm I'm a big big advocate of uh, futsal. I love, um, back in a previous life, um, about five years ago, I used to yeah. play state league soccer, um, and uh, then I got old, um, so, yeah. <laughs> so I don't do it anymore. Yeah. But I love, I, I still love playing futsal, um, yeah. And, and yeah, I love hiking. So just this weekend, we, we drove out to uh, Booty okay. National Park in Central Coast and, uh, and did a few hikes out there. But I uh, love getting outdoors and, and hiking as well. Good. Good. I think it's important. And and obviously, this show is called Technology Uncorked. Um, we do the interview episodes, but we also do a news and reviews episode on a Thursday. And usually I'm cracking open a bottle of wine um, for that episode. Yes. You and I are virtual today. If we were in a bar, cafe, whatever it is, what would be your go-to? Whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be alcoholic. What would be your go-to drink? So if, it, if, it's, if it's wine. Yep. My go-to is a little Barossa winery called Rusden, and Rusden. they produce a, yeah, R-U-S-D-E-N. They produce a beautiful wine called um, Black Guts. It's a Shiraz. That's one of my favourite wines of all time. Um, and recently with work, I went off to uh, Perth, and I, I decided over the weekend I'd stop over to Margaret River. And my new favourite winery is uh, Mosswood. Um, I've heard of Mosswood. So they... they yeah, really, really good wine there. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, my all-time favourite is uh, a traditional winery called Rockford's, again, in the Barossa yeah. Valley. Yeah. Are you, are you, um, and you to say the Basket Press? The Basket Press, yeah. So we're members and we get our three Basket Press a year. Amazing. The allocation. It's so funny because members get it for like $80 a bottle. 
And then Ridiculous. you look at it the next month and in any, you know, anywhere that you try to buy the basket press, it's, it's upwards of $300. Yep. So the, uh, the return is immediate, like absolutely yeah. immediate. Yeah. But uh, being a, <laughs> a massive wine drinker, um, I just stick it in the cellar and, and I'll, I'll revisit it uh, every, every so often. It's really, really good. Yeah, no, Basket Press is one of the ones that I've looked at on wine auction sites before, and and it's crazy how when there's, when it's a particularly good year, they can get real high in value, and it's um, and it's wild that you're getting them for say eighty bucks, and then oh, it's three, crazy. Three, yeah, four years from now, it could be a four five hundred dollar bottle of wine, and you've just had to keep it in the wine cellar. It's just amazing, and it is an amazing drop. I haven't had the Rusden. I'm I've written that down because I'm going to go and look it up after this. But uh, it's fantastic. Very jammy. Um, like I would say if you like Peterson's wine yep. in Hunter Valley, it's yep. very, very similar style. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very jammy, very fruit forward, but still quite nice and dry. Nice. It's on the list. We'll have to make sure it's served at the next um, Sony TV launch or something, right? Oh, for sure. Why not? We'll just, we'll bring out the, we'll bring it all out. All the good stuff. <laughs> just bring it to the table. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. I think, Look, anyone who's listened to this has learned something about TVs in general, but it's good to get a bit of an understanding about what Sony's up to in this space as well. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Jeff. It's been uh, fantastic to be here. Thanks, mate. See ya.